Welcome to Snapshots and Second Acts, where we celebrate the achievements of people who hit their stride later in life. You can learn a lot about someone through the photos they take and the ones they choose to share with others. So before each interview, my guests send me photos of their choosing that represent who they are as a person and highlight a pivot point in their lives. My guest today is Duncan Finley. He describes himself as a scientist, musician, and family member. Originally from Scotland, he now lives in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I'm happy to have you here. I'm pumped to be here, Vina. Pumped. You grew up in Scotland. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. Well, born and raised um, in Inverness. I was born in what is now the car park of Rigmore Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Went to school there, to university. Was going to be a pilot. Oh, really? But I failed the medical. <laughs> so uh, so then instead, uh, through clearing, which is like the last minute try to go to university moment. Uh, I got into geography at uh, Aberdeen University. Oh, excellent. I love how I put I put geology in the thing too. No, I did that. That's, oh, okay. that's what I that's what I got. Not what I went to do. Yeah, I may I may or may not have failed geography. <laughs> well, you know what, this actually takes me to the first photo that you sent me, which is a picture of you and your family, your brother and your mom yep. in your family's back garden at a going away party before moving to Canada. Yes. And so before we met, you told me that, quote, everything changed after this. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about that. Uh, right. So, well, I'd, I'd never really gone anywhere, you know, like my mom's from England. So really, I'd been to visit my family in England a lot and I'd been to America a couple of times, but I needed... I just needed something else. I needed some adventure, I guess. And there was a moment in my at the end of my undergrad when I was doing my thesis where I thought, you know, I could do more of this. Like this is, I have a, a very distinct memory of thinking this is actually semi fun, and I could could do more of this. After I graduated, I started thinking about, oh, maybe I could do something else. So I started applying kind of at random across the globe. <laughs> it wasn't like you were like, I am. Only focusing on Canada, you're like, I just want to see what happens. Yeah, I just wanted to see what happens. So I was uh, speaking to a guy in Australia. I was speaking to a couple of people in the States, like in Hawaii. And ultimately, Hawaii is so far from Scotland, it's ridiculous. Like, I'd never I'd never be able to go home. Right. So um, I got offered a free, like everything, kind of paid for master's degree at uh, Brock University in Ontario. And uh, I took it. And then I panicked as to what I've done. So I kind of develop this technique if there's something i think is a good idea but it's really really scary just set everything up in advance so that you can't really bail i was going to ask you that if you were anxious oh yeah massively it wasn't real until i got to the airport with two suitcases and a guitar that's awesome did you have any like how was your family how did they I feel mean, about the decision my mom would support me through all things they didn't want me to be so far away obviously but uh, they realized it was a good opportunity for me and were behind me in that sense so mixed but in a, we're happy that you're going to do something like this kind of way. Mixed in a, a how a family's going to react kind of way. Yeah, there was no blackmailing or anything like that. It was, <laughs> it was just go to it, boy. We'll come and visit. So did you have any obstacles or come against any obstacles when you got to Canada? Oh, yeah. 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 I didn't know anything. Like, I didn't know how to dial the phone. Like the, the area code and stuff like that. Like no one would tell you the area code. So I just dialed the number and I was like, this doesn't work. And I ran into that. There's all kinds of weird stuff. Like people were talking about hydro 
and they meant the electricity. Yes. And uh, I was like, but it's water. What? Hydro means water. <laughs> I'm like, well, it's hydroelectric. And I'm like, you've shortened it to the wrong thing. So there's lots of little language problems. Yeah. But the university was the really the big one. Like in Aberdeen, I didn't know what the hell I was doing at all. And it was okay because they knew that and they kind of accommodated for it. But North American, it seems, or Canadian universities at least, you need to be on the ball. And I was never on the ball. There was a few circumstances that I could have maybe made my life a little better if I'd known what the hell was going on. And I just didn't. I just bumbled through, got through in the end. But you made it. Yeah, I did. Did you ever have moments where you're like, this isn't worth it? I am going to go back? Uh, yeah, a few. I mean, the master's was only two years. So like, whatever, I can, I can stick that out. But like not having a car, it's pretty limiting living in the burbs. Like you just can't get out. So I was kind of depressed and ready to leave just because I was, I was not anywhere close to downtown. I was so far from the action and I had no money at all. So there was no, there was no way I could drive anywhere. Right. So how did you make it through that? Uh, got a bike. Yeah, I biked a lot. Which I did anyway, but it's much like Europe in general seems to be a lot easier to get around on without a car. Yes. Yes, that's very true. Very true indeed. So when I finished at Brock, I went to McMaster and I made sure I lived downtown. <laughs> like lessons learned, right? Yes. Live downtown. Uh, which in Hamilton, I mean, it's it's different now, but it's amazing how far that place has come. But Hamilton was pretty dingy downtown. Like the architecture was nice and everything, but... It was not well cared for. Uh, and that's really turned around since I left, actually, since I've been done for the last 10 years. That's awesome. I've never been to Hamilton. It's got character. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, I hated it, right? And I was so ready to be done. But my uh, my wife is from there, so we'd go back occasionally. And when, you've, when you're not flat broke, it's actually not a bad place. And how long have you been in Calgary now? Calgary since 2009. So 2009. Okay. 11 years, 12 years. Um, what brought you out here? A job. Uh, okay. Yeah. So halfway through my PhD, I realized my initial insight from undergrad was woefully wrong. Like this is not fun. I mean, to be honest, I love the teaching and I, and I, I'd like the research, but I, I hate writing. Up. I hate the writing and that's the job. You know, if you wanted to be a prof or something. So instead I applied to a few jobs and got one. Awesome. And they moved me out here and I was like, that's excellent. And you love it out here. Yeah. Generally. Generally, I really do. So how do you envision your life would be different had you not left Scotland? Oh, I, I, I probably just would have done something lame. Like I was, I was working in a fish factory for a little bit just before I came out here and they offered me a full-time job and I'd have probably just done something like that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. But I can't I, even imagine that. Yeah, me neither. But I'd like to think what I'd have done was move to Edinburgh or something, but I don't know if I would have. Okay. So tied to that question, how do you envision that you would be different had you not left Scotland? I would have had no idea about the rest of the world. I'd have had my sort of romantic notions for movies. Okay. I don't know if I'd have gone too many places. Oh, really? So you don't think that that kind of adventurous spirit would have still... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. There's things that maybe I'd have done that I just don't think about now. But like up in the north, it's, it's tempting to say, oh, you're so close to France. You're so close to Norway and these places. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm a four-hour drive away from a decent airport. <laughs> it's significantly further than you think. Okay. And uh, like up Inverness is 
strangely remote. I mean, I know there's lots of people there that would get angry at this, but you know, it's pretty difficult to get places from there. It takes a while. I would have needed to move somewhere a little more cosmopolitan, I think. So maybe I would have gone to Edinburgh. But that is, I don't know what opportunities would have presented themselves. It would have been a totally different uh, starting point than, oh, hi, Mr. Graduate Degree, uh, have a job. You know, it would have been, it would have been very different from that. And I certainly wouldn't have gotten to teach any classes. I certainly wouldn't have gotten a PhD. Not, not for a while anyway. You don't think so? Uh, no, I don't think it would. I always find that kind of fascinating. No, but then you, you only live one life. How are you to know? That's true. That's very true. And you know, dwelling on what could have been doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really move you forward. Yeah, it's basically irrelevant. But like the the wave function for that outcome has collapsed, and this is where we are. So I don't, I don't know what it had done, honestly. I have to tell you, I love, I just, I love the story about the fish factory. I just. Oh, do you want to know more? It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I can't actually picture you. Oh, it was awful. Well, I can picture the you in that picture, maybe. Yeah. Well, not, not me. I had been working in the fish factory for six or seven months. But every time I needed to go home for Christmas, like I was too broke, I didn't have any money. So my parents funded me the money and I went back to the fish factory for a week or two. And at the time, my dad did not believe in jet lag. Oh. So he just threw me in the next day. And I'm like, Dad, I, I just can't do it, Dad. I can't. Because he worked there too. You know, he was in the office and he just threw me into the, the packing department or something. And it wasn't so bad at the beginning, but after a year or two, they had a like a labor problem. Like they couldn't find there wasn't enough local people who wanted to work there. So they were getting folk in from Poland and Brazil. There was some folk from Iraq that were working there. And I was the only guy who spoke English. And I certainly didn't speak very good Iraqi. Yeah. <laughs> so I was, like I was sitting there freezing in because it's you know, you're in a freezer yeah. or you're packing fish in a box or Sainsbury's or something. And um I did some maths because I couldn't speak to anybody. I did, did some maths mentally about how much money I'd made. And I'm like, this is enough. Then I was like, I've got a goddamn master's degree. What the hell am I doing this for? Right. And, and I just walked off. I quit. I've never done that before or since, actually. But I just like, no, this is too unpleasant, too shitty. I'm going home. And I called a cab. I went back and I slept off my jet lag uh, at home and told dad that, no, I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> It's it's not like the work is bad. It's not too bad. There's just no one to talk to. There's no crack. And uh, I was like, nah, enough, enough. Not doing that again. Never going back. Renewed my efforts to not quit and leave. <laughs> Finish your degrees, Duncan. Finish your degrees. I think I already know the answer to this question. Um, but what's been the best thing <laughs> that came out of moving that you had not expected? I'm going to say my wife. But not necessarily for the reasons you might think. Uh, <laughs> I was I was never like a, a high status male at home. Whereas at least when you come to Canada, you're somewhat exotic. Okay, so I'm going to move on to your second photo. And that's a shot of you riding on a motorbike going towards Crow's Nest Pass. So tell me a bit more about that day. Well, firstly, after looking at it, I realized I might have been heading north to Calgary from Crow's Nest Pass. Well, I kind of always thought that having a motorbike would be would be pretty great. And my dad, for a while, him and his friend were they were finding these museum piece bikes that didn't run and making them run. So they had all these old triumphs, not a lot, like one or two at a time, maybe, and they'd, they'd recondition them and get them back on the road. And my dad had a motorbike when he was little, you know, twenties, and I, I I wanted to be able to do it, but I was I never had the resources like especially in Canada if you're getting any transportation it's got four wheels because of winter 
But like after finishing school, starting a job, paying off a bit of debt, because as a graduate student, let me tell you, you accrue quite a lot of tax credits. So I started work with like a hundred grand in tax credits. So um, when I finally got my job, like post PhD, uh, I couldn't, I didn't know what to do with the money. You know, I started working in the middle of the year. So I think it was July, right? end of June, something like that. So I got taxed like I was working the whole year. Plus, I had this enormous pile of tax credit. So I got this huge tax rebate. So like I phoned up and paid off my student loan. And then the next year, I got like, because I hadn't used all my tax credits, I got I got a pile of tax credit. So um, Steph and I decided that we were going to finally learn how to ride a motorbike. And we took a course. And we both passed. She passed better than I did. But we both passed. And... uh like the hunt was on for a motorbike. So Steph bought this CBR 250, like a, a crotch rocket, but like a little one. And I didn't fit. I didn't. What well, I always thought bikers were big dudes, right? I didn't fit on any of these bikes. So like any, like going hard lock left or right, I was hitting my knee with the handlebars. So I was a bit perturbed at this. And everyone's like, oh, you could put new handlebars on it. I'm like, I'm buying a bike. I want it to, you know, fit. So I was just cruising around in Kijiji and I came across this, Hell ugly 2006 Triumph Tiger 955i. And it's a big, tall bike for reasonable sized people. And every time I looked up a review, people were saying that, oh, well, it's too big for me. Triumph should make bikes like this. And I'm like, perfect. I'm in. So I went to have a look at it. It sounded great. And I bought it. And I was like, so pleased. And then uh, the week after that, a group of us were going to go down to Crosnest Pass. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take the bike. And they were like, are you sure you haven't had it very long? And I made some kind of brave, blasé comment and got on it and went. And it was just so good that I talked Steph into uh, maybe getting a, a bigger bike. Uh, she got a, a 650. And then we took a trip to Yellowstone. And it was super great. So we have these few, like we'd go on a, a trip or two every year, just somewhere around in the Rockies. And then in 2016, we decided that we were going to go to Comic-Con. So we loaded up the motorbikes, got our camping gear, and we set off to San Diego via Moab. So we headed south. Steph almost blew a tire in Idaho Falls. So we had to spend a, a weird night in Idaho Falls we weren't planning on and got a new tire on our bike and off we went. And we just had this like amazing adventure through the mountains and the desert and up the up highway one and cruised up to the Mon monterey bay aquarium and uh up to portland and seattle and then back through idaho it's interesting when you tell that story because it was kind of a parallel to when you um talked about coming to canada you're just like i i'm just gonna do it i'm gonna make the plan and i'm not gonna get nervous about it until i'm actually at the airport because you talked about how your friend was like are you sure you want to ride your bike and you were like yeah i'm just gonna do it yeah it's not a skillful way of handling your shortcomings, but it does it does mean that you, uh, through sheer embarrassment of backing out, you, you do things. Yes, you sort of remove that that ability to overthink it, right? Because right? it's too late. Decisions made. You just got to do it. Well, I had a question I was going to ask, which was how has riding changed your life or the way that you live? And and I love that you went into all of these wonderful stories of these adventures. They're the best with the the most the latest job, not last year because. We had a little arrival and I needed to look after him. But the year before, when we had our Fridays off in the summer, um, I'd just take off and ride around. Nice. And it was really great. It's very freeing. 
quite meditative because it's not like you can't you can't check out and just think about things, but it's just engrossing enough that you get into that state of flow where you you have to pay enough attention, but you don't overthink stuff. I love it, and they're fast. They're really really fast to be in a really fast and my i've got a helmet that's like the flash from dc like that i don't know i like to go fast so i think i'd have to stay away where harness it (laughs) the cheap way to go fast that's very true (laughs) i'm not buying a sports car anytime soon (laughs) well if you want to ride a motorbike uh, you have two willing compatriots in this house the final question i had asked you a question before we met which was if there's one piece of advice you could give to the listeners, what would it be? And you responded, quote, learn to ride a motorcycle. Even if you hate it, you will be a better driver. I want to hear more about well, that. Well, it is true, you know, like uh, it's it's extra driving school. But I think that people would get a taste for what it's like to be on a motorbike. Uh, and you'd, you'd learn a lot of skills. I mean, this is kind of a selfish answer to me because there's a lot of people who don't look for motorcyclists when you're when they're driving around. So part of me is notice them. <laughs> I know everyone has in their mind that it's the one guy not wearing, wearing shorts, blasting up Deerfoot at 3,000 kilometers an hour. Uh, but the vast majority aren't doing that. And um, I think the Zen of motor, I know it's a, it's a trope, but the Zen of motorcycling, maybe not the maintenance, but the Zen of motorcycling is uh, something that I think a lot of people would get some use out of. I think the world might be slightly happier if there was more people riding a motorbike. You can view my guest snapshots at the show's website, snapshotandsecondacts.com. I'm eager to chat with people whose decision to embark on a second act has taken them to places they could only previously imagine. Do you have your own story to share? You can reach me through the site. Again, that address is snapshotsandsecondacts.com. Thanks for listening.